Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Guy Talk is going to continue for the extended version today. So we're going to go an extra 30 minutes. Then Pastor Sean Winters will be joining me in the uh, bottom half of the hour. So it's going to be a great hour. The power panel is still here and in place. Pastors uh, Tom Parrish, Tom Brock, and Dr. Peter Kapsner is the team. Justin Jepson, Agent 007, did not drop in today, but he's obviously on some secret mission. Hmm. And we must respect that. (laughs) I agree. <laughs> All right, here's a question that just came in. Uh, please discuss the new concept of the progressive gospel regarding the cross representing cosmic child abuse. I can answer that question, Bill. Okay, I've Tom written Brock, articles on oh, it. Thank goodness. Yeah. Cr- Christians forever have believed in what's called the substitutionary atonement of Christ, mm-hmm. that I'm a sinner, Christ steps in my place, he takes my punishment on the cross, so I'm I'm forgiven and God's wrath is satisfied and I go to heaven when I die. Well, the progressive liberal Christians think it's horrible that God would punish his son for our sins. They call that cosmic child abuse. Mm. And, you know, I, I think... Can you deny that Jesus died in your place for your sins and be a Christian? I don't know that you can. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to remind you of the gospel that saves you. Here it is, that Christ died for your sins, and he rose from the dead. Right Now, I I know there are other things that happen. There's a view called Chris's victor that he got victory over sin, death, and the devil through his death. That's all true. But don't deny that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Was that Second Corinthians or First Corinthians? But so, yeah, that's that's what that new thing is, and it's a heretical teaching that is in the very liberal denominations right well, now. Well, I call those people Adam and Eve because they're rebelling against the Lord himself. Mm-hmm. When you rebel against the word and you say, I don't like what it says that Jesus died a substitutionary death for me or died in my place, and that's cosmic child abuse, that to me is insulting. Mm-hmm. You know, you're insulting Jesus for what he did. And those are the kind of people that are going to have a lot to answer for one day. And they better repent now while they have the time Amen. because they're going to run out of time real fast. There's a whole. If you need a book on this, there's a book by Leon Morris called The Apostolic Preaching of the Cross. And he goes through the New Testament showing that the Bible teaches Christ died in our place for our sins. Yeah, he's great. He he read a comment, wrote a commentary in the book of Matthew that yes, I re- refer to often. He's yep. a really well-respected, accomplished scholar, and I mm-hmm. think that is, there are many different things that happen on the cross, as you've referenced, Tom, from Christus Victor to the substitutionary reality of sin to all of that. But what didn't happen on the cross was some sort of weird cosmic child abuse that is, you know, part of that progressive gospel. Yep. Thank you for that question. It's a very interesting question. Uh, in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 43... It says, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Don't you have to believe and repent? 
Well, I think it's a little, you know, to, to me, when you take these passages and try to make a theological statement out of uh, a, a situation that was happening in Acts 10 between Peter and Cornelius, where okay. Cornelius was a Roman official who would have never really heard the story of of this Jesus. And so really within that context, Peter was simply outlining and explaining to Cornelius the dreams that he was having, the sort of movements within his own spirit he was experiencing. And so in this particular case, Peter was uh, suggesting to him, so if you, now that you know what it is that your intuitions and your experiences have begun to describe, and I've explained the story to you, uh, if you lean into that story and want to say yes to that story, believe it or not, Cornelius, this whole kingdom thing is now also for you, not just the Israelites, but the Gentiles. So uh, of course you need to repent, but the idea that the scripture writing, uh, writers were trying to make theological statements in everything that they were saying, uh, in this case, Peter was just simply saying, um, believe. And, and of course, part of belief is repentance. So mm-hmm. I think it's an understandable question, but I think we have to take great care in, in taking passages out of context and trying to yes. make big theologies out of them. Okay. okay, true or false, all you have to do to be saved is believe in Jesus. Is that true or false? Depends on what you mean by yeah, believe, right? I, first of all, I want to say the answer is that's true. You don't want to say you believe and then you'll be good enough because then you'll never be saved. All right. So right. you want to say, yes, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Acts chapter 16. But it's got to be real faith. It can't be the fake kind of faith that the devil has and shudders. James chapter what, too. Yeah. So it, it is true. All I have to do to be saved is believe in the Lord Jesus, but not believe about the Lord Jesus. Believe in, trust mm-hmm. in the Lord Jesus. And that always includes repentance. But what saves me Ultimately, it's not even my faith. What saves me is what he did for me on the cross. Right. My, you know, my faith can be strong or weak depending on the day. What saves me is his death on the cross. In the early years of my ministry, I discovered how much I didn't know about the Bible. <laughs> I had to really kind of spruce that up a bit. This was before 1985 when my first Macintosh computer came out. What I would do is in my office, I actually put up on the wall, remember these charts you could buy? They're, I mean, they're blank. But they're like three by five. You could put them on the wall and then you could write on them. Mm -hmm. I began to do that with scripture verses under categories and like under to be saved. What does the scripture say? Well, this verse would fit in there about Mm -hmm. believing, but also would be the one about repent. Yes. You know, the other one would be about surrendering your life to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And what I learned is that I cannot take any verse out of its context without looking at the totality of what the New Testament and the Bible says about Jesus or about salvation. I'm just saying. yeah. Help me not make a lot of mistakes. I'm just saying we don't want to do what the Galatians did that Paul had to write a rebuking letter about, which is say we're saved by grace plus being circumcised. Right. We want to say we're saved by grace alone, by faith alone, and of course that will produce good fruits, but that's not what saves us. Agreed. So, yeah. Agreed. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to going back to Romans chapter 12. We talked about this a little bit earlier in the last hour. In Romans 12, too, it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So how do I practically renew my mind, and how does this transform my behavior? Hmm. Tom Parrish, you go first. The renew- if you're ready. Yeah, I am. The renewing of your mind, as I understand it biblically, is to keep immersing yourself into what Jesus said, what the New Testament says. Uh, Certainly the whole Bible, but specifically the New Testament, that's where Jesus puts everything into context, clarifies things. And by doing that and, you know, 
putting it in your mind over and over and over, guess what? It begins to change your behavior. You remember the old story about the couple that wanted to get a divorce that came to the pastor and they said, we don't love each other anymore. And he said, all right, I, I'll help you in your divorce in 30 days. But here's what I'm asking you to do. Every day, you have to write one positive statement about the other person. And so they did this. And after three weeks, they came in. And he said, you're here a week early. They go, yeah, but we don't want to get a divorce. What he did is, and that's a true story, what he did is he forced them to begin to make positive statements rather than negative. And when they did that, things began to change their perception. Same thing is true here. You know, when you get to, when you let the Lord renew your mind with his word and his truth, it begins to change your behavior, the way you think, the way you act, and the way you respond to others. Yeah, I think one of the fascinating things, that's so good, Tom. I'm actually thinking about that just for relationships that I may struggle with. You know, I think that's such a helpful tip. And, and I think what's really fascinating to me about the ancient Hebrews' ideas of, of the human being, sort of their anthropological ideas about human beings, is that they understood human beings to not be like this fixed noun sort of thing. Um, all of Hebrew language is a verb-based language. And, and what that meant is that all of creation is is somehow a verb on some level, just simply meaning that it's always in action, it's always moving, it's always adapting, changing, all of those kinds of things. And so because that's true, we're always being formed. And, and it, it, I think it's, I want to say it was Dallas Willard again who said that it's not a question of whether we're going to be formed. Uh, the only question is by what will we be formed? And so um, that passage, I think, invites us into to ask the questions, what are those influences that form and shape my thinking and my mind and my heart? Because I am going to be influenced by that which I take in and day, day in and day out. And I think it would be the height of arrogance to suggest otherwise, that that I won't be influenced, whether subtly or overtly. And so I am, you are, we all are being shaped every uh, all day long. And, and I think that's why they have the passage in Scripture where, it says to God, you are the potter, I am the clay, shape and mold me, this is what I pray. That That's a daily, minute by minute by minute prayer. And and that's the invitation to discipleship, is that we increasingly become authentically Christ-like uh, in our verbiness as we, as we grow in that way. I, it, it, these are some of the things that we just simply don't talk about a lot in our faith, but we do become that which we engage with. And, uh, and, and I think to understand that then makes us a little bit more sober-minded about the things that we do. And I'm thinking it, it, Romans 12 is the verse that commands us to transform our minds. Mm-hmm. And so let's pretend it's, what, 55 AD. We're sitting in the Church of Rome. Paul's letter is being read to us. A lot of us can't read because we're slaves, and so we can't read the Bible. So how am I going to transform my mind? Uh, for us today, it means reading your Bible, I think. But but for that slave in, in Rome, I think it meant you devote yourself to the church and the apostles' teaching. They had the apostles back then, but they didn't have Scripture. They didn't have written Scripture. So I think um, it's, it's mainly, I think, the way that applies, the way I transform my mind is by getting into the apostolic writings, which is the New Testament, the yep. Old Testament. Yep. And, and, but on the other hand, the importance of being part of a good Bible preaching church, that where where an apostle can straighten you out if you've got some weird view of something. So uh, I, I want to maintain the way you train, change your mind and transform your mind is by reading Scripture, but also by being part of a good church. Well, you and I know that at, at, at Hope, when we were there, we put a Scripture verse up front on the mm-hmm. on the chancel. You, you did. Uh-huh. Every knee shall bow, every yep. tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yep. I have had so many people over the years say to me, you know, I was new to hope. I walked in and I saw that verse and I knew you guys meant business. Mm-hmm. The point mm-hmm. is we don't visualize enough who we are in Christ, 
what the scripture says about us. And that's why I love to give the people, you know, what the Bible says about yep. my relationship with Jesus. And I know they're like 40 or 50 passages or little verses. And I tell them, read one a day. Speak it out loud. Yep. You know, I'm a child of God. I'm creating his image. I have a purpose. Claim who you are. But do this too. Go and put Bible.is on your iPhone. This morning, uh, I don't know, was it 4 o'clock? I pushed the button and I had the New Testament read to me by Bible.is. Everybody should put that on your smartphone so that when you just want to lay down and have somebody read the Bible to you, Bible.is, I love it. Tom, that was me calling at 4 it, this morning. That, was that you? You sounded <laughs> just like the guy on my, on my iPhone, Tom. I want to know what the chancel is. I don't know what the chancel is, Tom. Oh, up front. It's the, the altar area the, the, where the preaching is done, where the communion is. That's the chancel. Are you sure? Well, I don't know. I don't know that that's, I'm, that's I'm, the sanctuary. Well, I don't, isn't the what, chancel? What, what, what is it up front there in the I church called? I'm not very yeah, it's the cha- That's what they call them chancel prancers you when the people are, go up there and dance. Well, maybe you guys right. are stressing me out here. Maybe you're right. I'm sorry. I'll okay. shut up. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very, very stressed out right now. Plus, I have to. I'm forced to listen all the time, and I'm, I'm taking notes, and I'm Aww. getting texts coming in. And Aww. Tom, didn't you, Brock? Didn't you just say that the slave didn't have scripture? Uh, the of course, slave, they had the Old I, Testament. Probably. Well, but he. But how many? How many slaves could read? Well, of course, that was probably my wasn't point. many. But they yeah. had access if someone was teaching them from yes, scripture. That's yes, right. that's right. See, that's I have to clarify. My job so is to clarify. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I better take a break. Yeah, we'll please. be right back. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Guy Talk. I still have time for a question or a prayer request. Let me know what it is, 877-933-2484. requests that have come in and also some other great questions that have come in. So because I don't want to put prayer at the end, I want to do it right now. So uh, a couple prayer requests. Tom's, I'm going to put the balls in your court if you would pray right now. Okay. Do you want us to talk about what what the prayer request was or, or not? Um, you may. Okay. Well, somebody called in who's a Christian who got some victory over uh, uh, an addiction of some sort. But we and, don't know if they were a Christian. Oh, okay. Yeah. Prayer request was a person uh, has a, a history of drug use and now has recently relapsed. Oh. So that person's in danger. First of all, let's pray and then I'll. Okay. Lord God, we pray for this person, uh, whether they're a Christian or not, that somehow you'd use this event to bring them to repentance and faith of Christ. Just, Lord, help them not give up, help them not go deeper. But Lord Jesus, we ask you to reach out and, and pull this person out of their addiction and bring them to you. We ask it in Jesus' name, Father. Amen. And we have another listener who says that uh, stress is affecting her life. It's really affecting her finances and health, and she wants the power to surrender to the Lord's will. So let's pray for her. Mm-hmm. Lord, you know this woman. You know exactly what's going on. You know what's causing the stress. Lord, cover that stress with your shed blood. Mm-hmm. Give her freedom, Lord. Give her the peace that passes all understanding, and give her a heart that says, above all else, Jesus, I want to surrender to you and let you take control of my life. So the stress must leave in Jesus' name, and he will take up residence within you. This we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And, you know, Bill, you had an expert on addiction on this very show Mm -hmm. uh, from Teen Challenge. 
and I and I'm interviewing him this Sunday on my TV show. And if there's been anybody watching this show right now, and you're stuck in an addiction, this guy was good. And so for half an hour, I asked him, "Okay, how do you overcome an addiction that just keeps keeps coming back?" And so if you want to, you can watch that TV show. This so when are you going to have me on your TV well, show? I, it's been you, a while. I've had you three times. Well, I know you have, but I want to be on nine, ten, eleven. <laughs> oh, okay. Here I, here, here I go again, feeling stress. <laughs> I, I swear. Let's pray for Bill. Okay. Um, another uh, listener said, "I've heard it said that repentance is the first act of a believing heart." I quote this mm. because of your conversation on repentance. Mm-hmm. Good word. Well, re- yeah, I e- think. Go ahead, there, Peter. Oh yeah, no, just quickly. I just think you know I, what. What seems like it would be such a compelling and and very delightful part of repentance is when somebody knows they're wrong, but then also knows their hope. I mean, can you can you imagine just the easy, soft, quick repentance that says, "Oh, I, I'm just so broken for the way that I have lived, and I didn't know, and now that I know, and God, you know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound." Right? I mean, yeah. when repentance is is birthed out of that place, as opposed to, "Oh, you better repent." And I understand that part of it, too, when people are willfully disregarding things. But that place, I don't know of a sweeter experience we can have on this earth than when a a fellow human being um, goes, oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, and, and starts walking towards the kingdom from that place. You're exactly right. And even our repentance is a gift from God. Yeah. It says in the book of Acts, God has granted to the Gentiles that they might repent the repentance that leads to life. So, yeah, you know, you have to believe to be saved. You have to repent to be saved. Does that mean I do something to, to grip my salvation? No, it's all a gift of God. It's all grace. Well, I've been doing a lot of repenting for my attitude as a pastor toward America and toward a lot of the stuff that's gone on. Mm-hmm. won't go into any detail. But my other prayer is that the, this country will come to a point of repentance. Me too. Especially with our leaders. They'll get on their knees and start calling out the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this is a strange time to be alive. It mm. is. Another listener said, God tells us to be holy. Can we be holy? Well, if he tells us to be holy, then we can. Now, <laughs> the question is, you know, how do we get from here to there? And uh, the only holiness I know is the righteousness of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's not my righteousness that makes me right before God the Father. It's the righteousness of Jesus. So that my holiness comes not through how good I do things or how perfect I am, but who I'm totally depending on. And if I'm totally depending on Jesus, then I believe we have fulfilled what it means to be holy before the Lord. And it says in Hebrews, strive after the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Right. So what does that mean? Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I hope it means what you just said, Tom, that my total holiness is Christ's righteousness imputed to me. Right. But also, if somebody isn't, even trying to be holy, they're just living a life of of impenitent sin. I think they need to start striving after the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Well, of we're, course, we're saved by grace, but grace always results in you desiring to be holy. Not right. that you, we, we won't be holy a hundred percent till we're in heaven. But if it's not a desire of your heart, something is saying that maybe you're not a really believer, a real believer. Yeah. It calls to mind that passage in Hebrews as well, where it says that we can approach the throne with the grace, with the confidence being sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. So I think to your point, the idea that we would be in any way, shape, or form holy isn't a result of our uh, of our effort. And yet there is an agency of some kind within us that says that we want to say yes to that. Mm-hmm. And yes. in so doing, then God begins to work out that reality yep. within us. And when we stumble, we repent and come back. You know, right. we, we don't live in the mud puddle. 
People's, many people's favorite verses, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and yeah. lean not on your own understanding. How do I know when I have the Lord's understanding of something rather than just my personal preference or bias? Hmm. I think there's a sense of peace uh, that can be one marker. Again, I would hate to say that these are the markers, but uh, I know I just came through even a season of my own life where there was a bit of turmoil around some things around the future. I didn't know, I didn't wasn't certain which way to walk, quite frankly. And then in those long seasons where, where you can walk in what feels like a bit of the wilderness, there is then suddenly kind of a a different sense of clarity and a peace about that clarity. And it doesn't mean you understand what's going to happen into the future. And it doesn't even mean the future is going to end out uh, the way that you want it to. But I think there's a, there's a certain sense of peacefulness in the soul that um, comes from that place of trust that is, is hard to identify and define, but doesn't mean it isn't real. So I would say that's one marker. I don't know what you guys would say, but certainly peace is, is one for me. Well, I think one thing I would add to that, and I like what you said, Peter, that makes a lot of sense. But one thing I'd add to that is this is where we need the body of Christ. If I believe I've got the Lord's understanding of how something's to be done, am I willing to submit that like to Bill and Tom and to Peter and say, what do you guys think yes. from the Word yeah, of God? For sure. And then you come back and tell me where my thinking's on or my thinking's off. When I'm willing to do that and you come back and you all say, we agree, then I think you're pretty much on the right path. Mm-hmm. It's when you personally say, this is what I want to believe about it, whether anybody else thinks that or not, right. I don't have the Lord's if understanding. You've got, if you've got an interpretation of Scripture that nobody has had for 2,000 years, I think you better be rather suspect of yourself. Agreed. I like that. Anything Anything more on this? This is really good stuff. It is good. Well, I, just following up on what you said, Tom, I had that very scenario. I, I, there was somebody who was, he was leading a... a Bible study, and he came up with uh, an understanding or interpretation of Scripture, and there was a lot of very impressionable people in the room, because he was, uh, he he had some requisite expertise and track record, and uh, and he came up with an interpretation of some part of Scripture, and I literally asked him after that, I said, that is really interesting, and it didn't mean that it wasn't compelling uh, on some levels, but I asked him, so where did you, where did you come up with that understanding? And he said, well, God showed it to me, and mm-hmm. I thought, oh dear, um, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. not impossible, but no. uh, I know that when uh, you know you're going through the rigorous work of going through the text, I'm always going back and seeing did other trusted people say these things Amen. or other trusted people contemporary. But I, I love reading the church fathers of those early oh, centuries. Me too. Understood yeah. things, right? I just, you, you know, I think there's a long history of yep. understanding the kingdom that exists. And so I'm super suspect when somebody comes up with something new like that. And, and I'll say it again everybody, buy the ESV study Bible. Because yeah, there's sure. a different passage, they'll tell you there's two or three interpretations sure through the... Through, and, and that way, if you've got an interpretation, you know, if you've got a hard verse, it'll explain it for you. The ESV Study Bible, it's a great thing to have. It is a great one. Yep. All right. That kind of wraps up our time. I want to close just with a little word of prayer for many who have uh, called in with some physical issues and mm. uh, want to be sensitive to that. Uh, So, Heavenly Father, thank you for the listeners who are in a place of discomfort or pain or distress over a health issue, especially today. Mm -hmm. Uh, I pray that for Steve, who's just in a lot of pain with his arms, and many, many, many who are um, in need of your relief and your comfort and your your healing touch. So I ask for your presence and and your healing touch according to your will, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Wonderful time being with you. women. No, Tom. <laughs> that was just a bad joke. Uh, oh, boy. I was in a good mood till screeching now. Screeching halt. All right. Yeah, screeching halt. We'll take a short break and be back with Pastor Sean Winters in just a minute.
Thanks again to the guys that showed up for Guide Talk and made it such a great uh, time today. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. So thank you very much. Uh, in this uh, next half hour, Sean Winters is going to be joining me. He's senior pastor at Calvary Church right here in the greater Twin Cities. Sean's a friend and has been a regular contributor to the show, but I have not spoken to him yet in 2021. Sean, welcome. Hey, thank you, Bill. How are you today? I'm well, thanks. I'm looking forward to catching up. It's nice to hear your voice. And I think we're going to talk today a little bit about a passage from Ezekiel. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, it's good to be back on the show, and I appreciate all that you do for the Twin Cities and greater areas. So thank and the, you. And the world. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let, let's, let's open our Old Testament to Ezekiel 34, and I want to learn uh, the role of shepherds and what went on in that passage. Okay. Well, you know, I was reading through Ezekiel, and and a lot of it was, uh, you know, lots of judgment and a lot of uh, doom and people missing the mark. But part of tough times reading the Old Testament is that it's, you know, lists places that we're not familiar with, um, and it seems distant and a little bit foreign, kind of hard to get our mind around a little bit. And then I think where people struggle, and sometimes I do, is how do you apply all this? Right. And then you come across chapter 34, and it's all about shepherds. So that speaks a little more. And um, and again, shepherds in this setting are not people who watch sheep. They're... Okay. <laughs> That's good to know. That's yeah. very helpful. I, I don't know. I, I've, I've never been a shepherd. I'm sure you haven't. <laughs> Um, although when we were kids, we owned some sheep, so I don't know what that qualifies me for. But mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> So these are the priests and the teachers and those who kind of guide spiritual life. And uh, so, I, you know, when I said, hey, let's talk about this, I'm thinking about, you know, it speaks to me because I'm a pastor. Think about pastors, but there's, you know, spiritual leaders in all sorts of settings, um, teachers, parents, people who work on the radio, uh, people in the marketplace who are who are in that role of shepherding in some way um in a spiritual way so mm-hmm. which is pretty much going to represent all of us at some point we're all going to have some shepherding role and if we're not if we don't do it well, then what are we doing in terms of discipling others that's right yeah so this, we all called by god to uh spiritually impact our friends and neighbors and, you're right and on make disciples so we are going to be shepherds and this is a, such an interesting passage um let me read, if I can, the first uh, three verses. The, the, the word of the great. Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. That's wow. an admonition. Isn't that, I mean, it's just powerful. It's uh, you know, somewhat of the pattern of the other parts of Ezekiel, but he just asked that really um, challenging question, should not shepherds take care of the flock? And then he says, but you don't. You're taking care of yourself. You're working on your own <laughs> portfolio. You're working on your own 401k. Yeah. Um, you're looking out for your own health. 
but you're not watching out for people around you, and it isn't what God wants. Um, yeah, that, that's just uh, it's a challenging intro, and verse 4 says, you know, you've not, and he has this big list, you've not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bound the injured, you've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost, but rather he said you've ruled them harshly and brutally. Um, I mean, this isn't a great list of easy sheep to work with, this right? Is, this is a little bit of a beatdown, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And it's, but you know, it, at the same time, when I think about that list, I think about the times I've been weak or sick or injured in the ways that I've strayed or been lost, man, you know, God has sent a shepherd to care for my soul. And, and it has made all the difference because someone has come after me in that needed time. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, it, you know, I think uh, the challenge for us is don't, don't get overly critical um, of others or say, wow, I, you know, someone's not shepherding correctly, but just kind of assess what am I doing and how am I doing it? Um, and, and then remembering always that we're an under shepherd, right? Like we're under God. He's the over, he's the, the chief shepherd, and we're just trying to help in that cause and and look for those people. And, and, and I think, Bill, you know, in our world right now, there's a lot of people are weak, sick, injured, um, in some ways because of all of the stuff going on in the chaos. They're straying in some way, or they feel lost. Well, Sean, I'm looking at verse 5, and I'm wondering, is, does this sound relevant for today? Uh, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. Yikes. Yeah. I know yeah. a lot of people who are not uh, part of God's family who are obviously uh, becoming food for wild animals, metaphorically. Yeah. It, it is. And, uh, you know, I had a, a mentor many years ago say that, you know, when back in the 70s, we had three network TVs and it was called broadcasting. <laughs> and now and now it's called narrow casting because you don't have to listen to general. You just go to the stuff that sounds like you like it. And all of a sudden, um, you've got all sorts of different camps, and there are minor camps. And yeah, verse six says the sheep wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. They're scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. I mean, it's it's really painting a picture of isolation, um, of of lostness, um, and and then there's the, there's a vulnerability that comes with that, right? That there mm-hmm. was no shepherd. They're scattered and became food for wild animals. And uh, boy, that that should challenge us, <laughs> all of us, to say, you know, um, am I being who God wants me to be for those who desperately need it? Mm-hmm. And, and too often we think, well, maybe they're not interested. But rather, we should look at a passage like this and say, but what is it that they need, and how can I, in some way, shepherd them? Mm. I think of what Jesus said when he looked out and saw them; they were helpless and harassed, like sheep without a shepherd. Yeah. Yeah, that's just, it, it is a constant theme, isn't it? I constant, mean, yeah. I mean, how many times does, does God reference us as sheeps in Scripture? I think it's about 400 <laughs> times, you know, and that it, is the it, world's dumbest animal, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. And and one of the most difficult to lead. Um, my wife and I had a chance to travel in the Middle East, and we were in Jordan, and we saw this long line of sheep and one shepherd leading them across just some some treacherous landscape and you know you could hear the 
the, the bells hanging around him or something. And we looked across, and there was this one shepherd leading a long line of sheep. And, and you just got the sense that that was pretty cool and a great biblical picture. But then you also paused and thought, well, what if the shepherd wasn't there? Oh, wow. <laughs> what, would those, yeah. what would those dumb sheep do in this? They, they couldn't survive. It no, was... they couldn't. You know, horses, and, uh, horses without a wrangler are wild horses. Sheep without a shepherd are dead. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, 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 won't, they won't survive. They'll get lost. They'll, they'll put themselves in positions of peril. Uh, yeah. They will walk off a cliff if they're going to eat another piece of food, and they don't even realize they're walking off a cliff. I mean, they really are pretty yeah. dumb animals that uh, need a well, shepherd. And, and, you know, unfortunately, they don't have a lot of natural defense. True. Um, they, they need someone, something to defend them. So, they, you know, the pattern is to gather the sheep at night and put them in a safe place is to be with them all day long so that they are not uh, vulnerable to attack. Uh, David, you know, he, he defended them against the lion, the bear, because they couldn't defend themselves. Um, a horse can run away, but a sheep just sits there and bleats. <laughs> yes, and the Lord is the good shepherd. And let's uh, jump down into verse 15, and I, I hope you can share okay. some light on this particular verse. It says in 15, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I think yeah. I've heard that as well in Psalm 23. It is. It's a common theme. It comes up again in John 10, where he talks about, um, you know, the sheep will know his name, and they will follow him, and he will cause them to lie down. And it's this great picture of rest. Um, it's a great picture of a calmness that comes. Uh, sheep will not lie down unless it feels safe. But but I think what is telling about this, um, so he starts out by saying, hey, I've appointed you shepherds and you're failing to do your job. And so the sovereign Lord comes in and says, you know what, I'm going to take over. I'm going to be the shepherd. Um, verse 13 says, I'm going to bring them out from the nations. I'll bring them back into their own land. He says he's going to pasture them. And he goes in kind of an extended explanation of where he will pasture them in 13 and 14. And then in verse 15, he says, I myself will tend them. I, I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be attentive to their needs. I'm going to be present with them. And then they will lie down. And then he declares this and gives his name sovereign. Mm, which, I love that. Uh, so It's it, so powerful, Sean. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture of care, um, kind of a rest in the midst of all that is going on. Um, I think it's a it's a sense in mind and soul. And I think that's where, as I have been talking with people, as I've been working, um, you know, as a co-sheep with other sheep, mm -hmm. um, the, the challenge of, you know, what's going on as we try to think about it and our mind gets around it. But there's also this disruption in the soul of all the tumult of the last 12 months. And, um, you know, we, we watched the news from yesterday in our capital, and there's this you know, and our soul is disturbed within us. And and God comes with this beautiful word, I think a very timely word, says, I'm going to tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I'm, I'm going to search for them that are lost. I'm going to bring back the strays. I'll bind up the injured. I'll strengthen the weak. But he says at 16, the sleek and the strong I'll destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice, which is just, uh, and it's, it's what we need in a time um, 
when we're disturbed and mm-hmm. when our mind is not at rest. Sean, when you see this uh, verse in 15 where it says, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down. When you hear the word lie down, do you hear rest? Do you hear security? Do you hear comfort? Do you hear sleep? What do you hear? Yeah, I think I hear, um, I, I think I hear a quietness. Okay. Um, I think I hear a confidence. Um, you know, I, I like the word rest that's picked up in Hebrews a number of times that we enter his rest. But there's a sense of a physical need to lie down, but you can't do that without uh, a peacefulness of heart and mind that says it's okay to lie down. <laughs> we, we've all been laying in bed and we hear a noise, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden we're wide awake and we got to go investigate. Is there someone in the house? Is something going wrong? Is there a, a kid in need or is there... Um, so so lying down is a physical need, but it's I think it's a result of that sense of God is going to tend them. It's a quietness of heart and soul. Don't you think? I do. And there's been so many uh, people have texted into the show expressing to me that there is a high level of stress, anxiety, insecurity, and fear. And I get that. And they, they're being very vulnerable and honest. So I love that we can apply this verse uh, to it from Ezekiel thirty four fifteen. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. That is a promise. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it really is. And in John 10, uh, John ten nine, it says that they will come in and go out and find pastors. So I think there's two key ideas here. One is pastoring them, bringing them to the food that they need as a nourishment for the soul. And then God brings them into a place of rest and allows them, gives them the freedom, gives them the quietness of mind to lie down. And, and I think you're right. I think um, isolation and anxiety um, are at a kind of an all-time high, mm-hmm. and I think they they cause each other to to be exacerbated. The isolation causes anxiety to go up, but then there's this fear: the fear of the unknown, the fear of disease, the fear of what's tomorrow going to bring. That um, it, it is affecting all of us, and and those who have Christ are not exempt from that sort of anxiety, but we have this beautiful promise that I myself will tend my sheep. And and there's a sense of, of, uh, you know, the question, the challenge is, are we sheep? Are we the the, the sheep of God? Are we trusting in God? And then have we experienced a sense of his tending care over us, Um, which which I pray for my heart and I pray for the hearts of others. Yeah, beautiful thought. Let me take a short break. Pastor Sean Winters is my guest, senior pastor at Calvary Church. You can go to calvarychurch.us if you want to see his good-looking picture and learn more about him. We'll be right back. So glad to be back with Sean Winters, my guest. We're talking about sheep and God's love as our shepherd. In uh, Psalm 23, it does reflect that wonderful truth that God does defend. He is our defender. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Because without the Lord as our shepherd, we're pretty helpless when uh, the enemy attacks. That is one interesting thing 
about sheep. They are defenseless. Yeah, that's right. They um, they don't have big teeth, no claws. <laughs> um, they have, I guess the only thing is if they have really thick coats, it's tough to bite through. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it, it is uh, – they go by herd. They, they're pretty simple. They're hard to work with. Um, and you they're, know, I, I, they're gullible. I don't – I don't envy shepherds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think we learned gull- gullibility. You know, humans are gullible, and they're going to be yeah. like sheep. They'll follow uh, a new shiny idea. That's right. And and we see that just all too often. And, um, you know, that's where, again and again, we, we see this shepherding analogy and the sheep commentary and throughout Scripture it um, kind of weaves its way all the way through. And, and every time it's talked about the sheep are in need, the sheep are desperate, the sheep are in trouble, the sheep have a problem, and, and God sends a shepherd. And in times like this, then he says, I myself am going to shepherd. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we hold on to that, that God is, God is the great shepherd of his people. And yet there's a, and I think the call here is I want to think about my own life, and the places and the people I work with that I'm called to be a shepherd of people's souls. And so that's in the marketplace, whether we're in vocational ministry or not. And, um, you know, that God is going to tend his sheep. He's asked us to join him in that effort and, um, and be a sense of, of shepherding here. But th- there is this great promise there, um, as you talked about, where he says, I myself will tend my sheep and they will lie down. It's a, it's a personal, God says, I myself, mm, I, love that. I will tend them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you, you hear the expression, Sean, of people who are backslidden. I sometimes think because there are so many comparisons to us as sheep, that it's more likely that we're prone to wander off away from the flock because we have our own sense of uh, overconfidence or rebellion or just sin nature. And that it's only the, the, the confident and competent shepherd that we need to rely on for, for everything. That's right. It's so easy. We, we say, Hey, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I, I don't feel vulnerable. I don't feel like I'm in trouble. I think I'll just wander over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the shiny thing. It's the, the next thing. It's like, Hey, there's a nice patch of grass over there. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's a, a constant wandering, you know, we we're prone to wander and, um, that's all the way woven through Ezekiel 34, and I encourage listeners just to read through that. It's it's just a great picture. You can you can see yourself in that. You can see others in that, and I hope you can see God in this mm-hmm. and His call. Yeah, Sean, when you think of of God and His desire uh, to be our shepherd and for us to be His His flock, isn't there something so tender about how He deals with us? You know, I I think. Uh, says he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. That's Isaiah 40, 11. So isn't that just a powerful image of him being tender with us, gathering the lambs in his arms and carrying them close to his heart? Yeah, and I think sometimes we, um, we, we don't picture God that way, and it's really helpful to hear those words, and it's really instructive about how God interacts and relates to us. And, and that's, this list says that there are people who are injured, people who are lost, people who have wandered away, and yet God tenderly cares. He, he tends his sheep. It's a, 
It's a picture of kind of an intimate, kind, caring, where he's going to assist his sheep to find good pasture and good rest. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful picture of a tender, loving God that, that um, boy, it, it would be great for us to kind of review and let that trickle into our souls. Mm-hmm. When we go back to Ezekiel 34 and we look at that passage, do we not understand that, that God then first compared the Israelites to sheep, but then later applied that label to all of us who follow and are called by his name? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great picture of a, of a, a particular story where the shepherds have failed and God says, hey, this is the way that you failed. You've mishandled sheep. You cared more for your own stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to come in and I'm going to shepherd my flock. But the application is, and at the end of this chapter, verses 30 and 31 says, you know, that they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God. And I think that's saying, hey, this is not just a particular group, but all of Israel. And then verse 31 says, kind of more general sense, um, for all of us, that we are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture, and he's our God. And so it, it implies a faith component that we are in, in trusting God in this role, but it is also a promise that God is going to say, I'm going to shepherd you. Um, you're the sheep and you're in my pasture. I'm going to lead you to the place where you get nourishment for your soul. I'm going to lead you to a place of rest. There's a security that comes from a shepherd who knows um, the sheep, who knows the shepherd and understands the call of the shepherd. Um, yeah, I think there is absolutely a call for us today. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you have a word of encouragement for people in shepherd positions, churches, uh, pastors, leaders, uh, people who are uh, in that role. Yeah, I, I, I do. And I, you know, just from my own experience, but also talking with our staff and then pastors in other places, um, I, I think one of the things that you know, we need to continue to do is not be overly critical, but we kind of say, hey, what, where is my shepherding? And to prioritize that in this time, the people in our pews are struggling. Uh, the people in our settings of work are hurting. And there's a lot of people whose souls are not at rest. Mm-hmm. Um, we, shouldn't, so we shouldn't feel pressure with that. Trust God. Um, but then my encouragement would be don't grow weary. Um, you know, keep on shepherding, even if the sheep seem incorrigible, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> even if the sheep write you notes that say, I don't appreciate your ship. I mean, keep on doing it. Mm-hmm. Don't grow weary. God loves sheep. And, and by his grace, then we can learn to love sheep too. Um, I think shepherds and, and, have to regularly, you know, dip their sheep in some kind of toxic chemical to get rid of the lice and the bugs and everything else. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, when you come across a struggling, um, angry sheep, I, I just a, a real quick, when we were kids, we used to have some sheep and I found that if you would tie a, a rope around their collar and try and pull them, they wouldn't go. They would just resist with all their strength. But if you just untied the rope and walked away, then they'd follow you. Interesting. <laughs> it didn't make sense at all. You know, it's like, why can't you just, and, and oftentimes working with people is the same way. You can't force, but you have to lead by example. And we follow Christ 
And as best we can, we share that with other people and invite them. Uh, as Paul wrote, what you've seen in me, man, I, I pray that you would live out in your own life. Yeah, so good. Sean, it's always nice to have you on the show. It's nice to hear your voice again. Thank you for this uh, really interesting um, discussion on Ezekiel 34. Again, I would encourage listeners to go and read Ezekiel 34 tonight and uh, see, again, the great uh, promises that God offers and and the fact that he will be our great shepherd that will bring us rest and comfort. It's a wonderful promise. Yeah, I agree, and I, I appreciate that. I encourage people to read that. Um, and, and see God in that, see God in that role, and then ask him to help you to be uh, kind of a co-shepherd with him, to care for other people in his pasture that are hurting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to go and go and make disciples. Have That's a right. great evening. Blessings to you and your family, and I'll chat with you again hopefully soon. I look forward to it, Bill. Thanks Thank so you. much. Yep, Pastor Sean Winters has been my guest. He's the senior pastor at Calvary Church in Roseville. I'm pretty sure it's in Roseville think it is. You can go to calvarychurch.us to uh, learn more about Sean. But that wraps up our show. Thanks to the guys for coming in and making Guide Talk such a lively and festive uh, 90 minutes. And Sean Winters has been my guest as well. Thank you to Sean. I hope you have a wonderful night and I hope you can learn from the great shepherd who will take you and give you rest and, and give you that confident, secure feeling because that's, that's what he does. He's so amazing at it. So have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.